0: This is episode 10 of the Brick and Data Podcast, a podcast dedicated to retail news, analytics, and tech. Coming up in this episode, holiday sales predictions are all over the place. Department stores are
1: having a rough time. So, what's better than VR for retail? AR is. And more in this episode of Brick and Data. Hello,
0: everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Brick and Data Podcast. This is Todd Harris. And I'm joined by Jose Chan. Jose, how's it going?
1: Well, how are you, Todd? Hi, everyone.
0: I am good. And I tell you, man, I am saturated by all this election stuff. And um, this election stuff is starting to bleed into things like retail. And this is one of the first topics we have today is how are not necessarily how is the election impacting retail, but how is retail looking for the holiday sales um, sales time? And. There's plenty of plenty of industry pundits speaking about this over articles in the past few weeks, over the past month, really. Um, But also, you know, the, the unique timing of the election is smack in the middle, or smack. Well, I shouldn't say smack in the middle, but right after the election is the prime shopping season, and there is no doubt. Just like every single major election, when there's a change of power or there is, you know, any type of conflict or question. It impacts lots of things, not only retail, but the market in general and um, just people's outlook on everything, including shopping, including, um, you know, any type of uh, potential spending over the next year or two or savings or, you know, if you're looking at your kid going to college in a year or two, what's that look like? What do we need to do to, to prep for the potential environment with a change in power or a change in, in something or other, right? Right. So change is good, but change is also bad. It, it, it affects everything. And that's kind of the topic of the first of the first topic of Retail winners and losers, and you know these predictions. What's what's accurate that we're seeing? What's not, right? Um, so I don't know. Where, where do you want to start with this? There's so much to cover uh, w- w- with you know the holiday
1: sales numbers. Yeah. So maybe a good place to start is at the high level, right? I mean, yeah. So at the very high level, let's think about this. So when we talk about retail sales, we're talking about any individual. Purchase made by an end consumer from a company, right? So this in general, when we look at these articles, tells us a few things. Well, they're probably including um, all categories, which includes things like restaurants, things like gas stations. Um, They would include uh, obviously stores, which are apparel, soft line goods, as well as hard goods so in all, for our purposes I mean the, the more important question Todd is really once with that framework it's like okay uh, retails all over the place but where are we gonna concentrate our our efforts on in terms of trying to decipher what's going on which is I think why there's a lot of noise right. so it's really
0: anything that's emptying wallets outside of bills right and I mean that's really outside of bills the stuff that we want to look at right is, is from a from a you know a store perspective, mm-hmm. from a potential retail uh, change in pattern when it comes to um, when it comes to spending habits, we want to look at you know store spending. We want to look at things like you know what's what's it, it going to be for clothes spending, for uh, for gadget spending, for technology spends, for all those things that new phones, right? This play of new phones that have come out, mm-hmm. things that have normally resulted in uh, a certain level of expenditures and freedom of spend around the holiday time frame and just around this fall time frame. What's that going to look like, and how is how you know how is previous performance over the past few months for retail? Maybe we have some data on that, and also looking into some predictions for uh, for the holiday season, sure, based on all this. And I think you I think you had some some stuff around how retail has been performing over the past month, and this might give some idea as to how it might perform over the next few months,
1: possibly. Good, yeah, that really good, Todd. So it's, it's, that's a good frame for us to follow, right? So. Agreed. We should focus on on the apparel component, department store, um, as well as uh, gadgets and, and things that are, you know, closely tied to it. Um, sure. So, look, let's start with the September numbers before moving on to uh, fourth quarter, which is October, November, December, which we're currently mm-hmm. in. Uh, let's take the most recent data. So essentially, overall U.S. sales. Uh, had strong growth in September, right? So August was a slow month, but that's um, normal. But what does slow mean? Usually, retail sales, just for uh, a quick primer for everyone out there, essentially are measured year on year. So you measure September 2016 to September 2015, and you do the same for August um this year versus last year and you can do it for quarters for half years full years etc and that and that's how these numbers come about so compare with a year earlier um you know sales at non uh store retailers rose by 10.6 percent year over year right? Which means that anything that's not a department store <laughs> uh-huh. did better than um, the department stores themselves, because here's the statistic for s- department stores. So sales at department stores had a 6.4% decline.
0: Ah, oh, so maybe that was a little spoiler alert for our next uh,
1: our next section here, right? Well, pretend you didn't hear that and had earmuffs on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I mean, that, that, that makes sense. Those numbers, based on, you know, things we've been reading, just general trends and earnings and trends and, and what we've been um, seeing in, in the market in general for retailers, that sounds about right.
1: Yeah, no, no, exactly. And look, so there, there's this continued trend of underperformance. underperformance. I'll leave you with one more thing to think about so that we could continue our conversation. So look, in terms of um, traffic and a big thing on retailers' minds is traffic, right? Store traffic, our footfall. It was down... Um, in September um, this year versus last year and so it turns out that the shopper conversion rate and this is data from Retail Next um, declined for the first time in five months falling by 0.2% which means that with falling traffic right or, or, or people visiting a store in a given time period, in this case September, there was also a decrease in how much they purchased, right? So essentially, let, let's think about this in the trend. So what does this mean? The trend overall for the year uh, has been this, It's and it's continued from prior years. Essentially, foot traffic has been lower um, than prior years for almost any given period that you could look at and conversions have been higher so the number of people walking to a store and purchasing has been higher than the past which makes sense because if you're going into the store which is a showroom place of transaction or place that holds inventory uh, then you're there's a high likelihood that you're gonna purchase chances are you're not just gonna go into a store like the old days to browse because we do that online uh, Uh or digitally right so given (laughs) this the alarming piece is that conversion is down so people are going to stores but they're not purchasing, which ties, unfortunately, back to this decline in sales uh, by department stores. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I think I'm I'm looking at some of these numbers here, and um, it's certainly going to, combined with some of the instabilities, potential instabilities related to the election, related to other things, um, uh, you know, leading into the new year, uh, I mean the, the retailers are, are in quite the the muck right now as far as problem they're you know recovering from problems that they had last year in the holiday season around order fulfillment, shipping times and that that's actually been a couple year long thing. Um, those orders they call it the click and collect orders um, on Cyber Monday had some issues last year Apparently uh, there was there's a survey done by Boston retail partners where 60% of those surveyed retailers surveyed. Uh, had some problems with click, uh, click and collect orders um, placed on Cyber Monday. Maybe it wasn't retailers surveyed. Maybe it was an opinion by um, by consumers. But anyway, the the, the the bottom line there is that, yes, there, there are some issues that are in a period of, of hangover from last year and years before. And how can retailers enter the holiday season with confidence that they're going to be able to kind of overcome these things? and that that's going to be the interesting thing here. And part of the what you were talking about before about the challenges of of having foot traffic come in and not convert, some of the solutions that we've 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 heard around this and some of the solutions that have been spoken about in some of these uh, articles and such by analysts and and uh, and just industry pundits are, are talking about the savior being potentially omnichannel, right? And and we keep hearing about omnichannel. and it's it's sort of an old word at this point, but it's almost like well, we need to get beyond that word at this point. It's more than just omnichannel. If you're not, you know, combining sales channels and how you approach your customers, your consumers, then if it's not done by now, you're you're going to have problems, right? So maybe some of these these issues are resulting from that. Maybe there's problems around um, the inability to to understand where the demand is, you know, based on where are people looking to purchase my stuff and where are they looking to get their hands on it. So if it's a if it's a you know online transaction, they want to come in the store and pick it up, or if it's an online transaction, they want to return it to the store. Those types of things don't seem terribly complicated from our perspective as a consumer because we just expect it to snap the fingers and happen. But it is right. It is it is quite the logistics and operational challenge for many retailers, and it, it explains why last year with the, um, the, the with the performance on Cyber Monday and and other other days. Um, bef- before the uh, bef- before some of the major shopping holidays, outside of that, um, actually that pa- that's kind of the end of the major shopping holidays. But that explains some of the performance issues there. You know, so when there's more volume and more demand like this, it's going to keep pressing and pressing on these retailers. And can they can they get past this? And a lot of them say that they can um, this year. They're feeling better about it in general, which is really great.
1: Yeah, no, no, which is which is really good. Uh, the the thing to to consider though, uh, and this is to, to your point about the the overall trends is that conversion, right? So the number of people that purchase that walk into a store, um, as a percentage, right? Uh, yeah. for the first time decrease in September, right? Which means that this slack.
0: First time in, in how long? You mean in a year? Uh, for the data and...
1: that we have, um, so the data I'm, I'm looking at, it'll be in the show notes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, comes from retail next that tracks this. So April it was up May. It was up conversion. That is June. It was up year on year, July up, August up, September down. So this is the first point, at least in the last one to six months that it's down. And it shouldn't really be a number that's down. But as we were saying, um, look, online retailers, uh, catalog and infomercial, infomercial vendors rose by 10%, 10.6% year over year mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. sales. So they were kind of like a bright spot. So it yeah. seems, to your point about the Omnichannel thing, which is old, um, people are just buying from other places, and maybe these other places might even be places like Amazon, or where there's convenience Prime, right?
0: Maybe, maybe it's. They seem, yeah, they they seem to be the uh, uh, almost impervious to some of these some of these issues. Well, I mean the 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 trade. So the um, National Retail Federation is, uh, you know. Is, is famous for coming out every every year, every every season. It seems like, and predicting predicting things as far as uh, shopping behaviors and patterns. And they're predicting an increase of three point six percent year over year um, when it comes to sales in November and December. So they're saying there's going to be a boost over the ten year average, which is two point five percent. They're pretty optimistic about it. Uh, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't say that everyone agrees. There's other 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 people that have very different opinions on on this holiday season, and it seems like most of them come back to the election, and 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 think there's a an angle here we need to look at. But the election is is it overhype? You know, is it is it overhype? Um, extreme sentiment, you know, extreme opinion, um, that kind of stuff that that tends to really, um, really, really take over when it comes to uh, these types of things. Are people just concerned? Are people just looking at it like, oh, boy, you know, if Clinton wins, then what are we going to do? Or if Trump wins, what are we going to do? And that seems to be a a common thing every four to eight Mm -hmm. years, depending on when there's a change of power, right? Sure, sure. So, but how is this really going to affect, right? How is this really going to have an impact on retail? And are people really going to hunker down and say, oh, nope, nope, Um, you know, Clinton won, so uh, I'm in the top one, two percent. I'm going to brace myself for higher taxes or, you know. Trump won. Oh boy. You know, I'm, uh, uh, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm in this, this class and I, I don't think, um, I don't, I don't think this, the stability is there and that we can rely on everything being okay over the next year and I'm going to hunker down and save my money and, <laughs> and you know, and then hide and build my bunker or whatever. So it's, it's, it, you know, there's a lot of instability right sure. now, I think, especially for the, for the nature of this election and it's causing a little more agita for people. Yeah. Uh, I think, right? Agreed. And if this comes out in the end, who knows? Who knows how it's going to come out in, in three months? We'll find out. But will this all have an impact is the big question. Well, here's a thought,
1: right? Okay, yeah, agreed. There's a lot of uncertainty, right? Because uh, these are generally uncertain times given the okay. election uh, period, uh, which happens every four years. However, look, there probably will be an increase. But what we're seeing at, at the top level, yeah, there'll, there'll be an increase. How much uh, is anyone's guess? year over year the answer is probably yes um the number is a different story they'll, they'll bear out what i'm saying but there will be as you said earlier how when we started the segment there will be winners and there will be losers and the clear winners will certainly be the amazons of the world we are other bright spots they will be the discounters of the world right so i would say companies like tj maxx which include marshall's um, TJ Maxx, Sierra Trading Post, uh, will be winners. You will have winners that will be, um, other companies that rival them like raw stores. In addition, yep. you'll have outlets, I think, uh, will be winners within that are divisions of larger, larger companies. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that that's where we're going to see a lot of, of, of the winners. Moreover the other thing is consider that you're probably going to see winners in certain Areas and categories, if you want to be a little bit more surgical, I think the electronics uh, will, you know, do better than apparel. It's just been the trend overall, right? I think.
0: Is it because like one of those is, is more of a luxury than the other? I would almost think, well... I guess I would think almost electronics is
1: more of a luxury over apparel,
0: but it could go either way,
1: right? could go either way, but it's also, look, I think it's more than that. If you think about what's going on top, uh, societally, it's values, right? So values have changed, generational mm-hmm. values. So, mm-hmm. right? So, look, baby boomers, and we've said this before, and we, we've written about this before, which is, look, baby boomers uh, are now about experience, Right, and they're, they're a big uh, component of the population. I'm obviously, overgeneralizing because there are many sub segments, but just for argument's sake, um, this is generally what what, what is uh, true uh, based on studies. Then, if you look at the millennials, they're all about experience. So, it took baby boomers um, a good chunk of their lifetime to get to the experience mode and consume yeah. earlier, whereas uh, millennials again just a catch all phrase there are many sub segments but they look for experiences now and they're purchasing electronics now right because everybody has a mobile new mo- new mobile or new shoes hmm think i might do new new electronics because it's more practical than the mm-hmm. other component is the debt piece right Uh, again not everyone but there there is you know studies have shown that millennials on average have higher college debt so that would you know kind of limit your discretionary income at the end of the day which means that uh, apparel might not be as important and it is important because if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of course it's one of the basic things you need but what are they really buying well it's fueling fast fashion Zara H&M companies like this Uniqlo that offer inexpensive clothing is fashionable, um, it makes sense. So if you start putting all these pieces together, there are winners and losers, but you have to look at what spots are growing even within categories, which makes this whole thing complicated. But to tie it all together, because I just said a whole bunch of things.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it makes sense. What you're saying makes total sense, especially the fast fashion part related to millennials, related to the potential debt scenario. And um, and it's funny because all these, We've written, you know, in our day jobs, we've, we've written lots of blog posts on this about millennials and how important they are and talk about, you know, Gen Y, but we never really talk about Gen X either. It's a whole nother conversation, but, um, and we just talked about baby boomers, but Gen X seems to get left out in the lurch (laughs) (laughs) It's because I'm Gen X and I feel like, you know, and I feel like there's no one, you know, it's like, they're just stuck in this, in this, in this, I don't know, Todd, we're going to have this kind of gray zone right now. We're going to have to
1: advocate for ourselves. Yes. Next segment. Yes. Let's talk about it.
0: Gen X. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know. Well, you know, I, I think um, to kind of wrap up this part, I think, um, I don't know. I'm looking at this next uh, next election. I'm looking at spending and, you know, I'm looking at um, uh, the potential instability resulting from it. Certainly am. I don't know if it's going to keep me from going out and buying a new jacket or buying, um, uh, you know, an iPhone 7 or, uh, you know, a Google Pixel. Or um, going out and getting an- another couple games to play, or whatever. I don't think it's going to impact that for me. Because that's just where I think that sentiment overcomes reality in a way, where the hype just the hype train goes insane, and everyone just, you know, uses Twitter and Facebook to voice their concerns. And oh my God, the sky's falling. And in the end, everything's fine. You know, we've seen it in past years. We've seen, um, we've seen these 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 predictions of 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 revenues dropping uh, for retailers and spending dropping and there's been no provable in, in the previous geez, what is it um in the previous couple elections I believe 2012 uh, 2008 and the one prior to that there's never been proven there's never been a proven impact on consumer spending uh, by the election so We'll have to see what happens this year because this is the most extreme scenario. So we'll have to see how that how that pans out. But kind of uh, spinning over to what we were talking about before, you mentioned something about uh, department stores. And uh, I think it's we could kind of take a look at, at department stores right now and maybe dig into a little bit of why they're having a harder time, it seems, than other retailers. Uh, so it, it seems like they're getting some, some uh, fallback based on some numbers they saw back in the recession and some retailers... Are looking at sales declines in December. I'm sorry, in September that are mirroring that. So what what's what's the deal? Uh, are they just are they just laggards as far as adopting that experience or adopting the omni-channel or adopting any kind of operational excellence that's needed for retailers to survive now? Like what what is going on with the retailers? Yes. Um, the uh, department stores? Do you think Jose? Yes,
1: agreed. Uh, all of the above uh, to different levels, right? I see. I, yeah. If you think about it, I and mean, I think we, we started talking about this in, in one of our segments which is, look, uh, e, the, these brick and mortar retailers were built to be physical, right? So they weren't prepared and, you know, let, let's think about the department stores again. Let's put the a quick framework and then I'll, I'll dive into it. A lot of these um, department stores are legacy stores, right? So they've had a long history. Of, of existence. Uh, and, I, and I think I, I may have said this once before. Uh, Macy's, uh, 1858, right? Which is now part of Federated and they've absorbed a lot of companies over the years and incorporated them and changed the names of the companies that they acquired into Macy's branches. So they were built on this old model of brick and mortar. And I say old, it's not really old. It, it, it's... It's ancient, as a matter of fact. The concept of it is, sure. Exactly. But in the digital world, they're not equipped, and that's what's what's happened to them, right? So, there's a couple of ways to go with your customer. Either you have a customer that you cater to as she or he um, changes, right? That was the old model. The other way to do it was essentially to have a particular segment that you targeted And then have customers come in and come out, right? So (laughs) look, the first example that I give you to give you something more concrete would be a company like a Gucci, right? In the 70s, uh, for those of us that remember this, uh, historically, of course, because we weren't alive then. Right Tom?
0: <laughs> well, you're right. Let's, let's say that. Let's go with, that. Let's I'll, go with I'll, that. I'll go with that. I wasn't. I wasn't fully alive yet. At least exactly. Yes. We weren't. We weren't fully was, alive there. Yeah. Yeah. Fully it, alive.
1: It was right. an old person's brand. It was this like old, ancient. Oh my goodness! If you saw anybody with a pair of Gucci loafers, you're like, oh my goodness, this is like a eighty year old. It's so not cool. Then you have Tom Ford and Domenico De Sole take it over, uh, because it it was uh, because of family squabbles. The company could not reinvent itself. They reinvented it for the family. So they took it into this golden period in the nineties. Again, it lost its luster, but then now it's come back in a way that's very positive. So it's a company that grew old with its customer and was able to rejuvenate itself, lost its luster again, and more recently has been uh, talked about. The other model, that I was talking about where a customer goes into a brand and out of the brand quickly would be someone like, uh, Abercrombie, for example, right? Where if they targeted, let's say 10 years ago, someone that was between the ages 17 to 24 on paper, not, not, we know that's not true, but that that's, you know, at least the, the concept that was held, then, um, you would grow out of it and you'd go on to the next thing. Uh, like I, I, I can't wear a moose right now, even though I have to admit, I'll no, no, have A conf- true confession here. Yes, I do wear that mousse. Uh, I shouldn't be, but I, I do. Um, but they, they're they re- trying to reinvent themselves to capture the younger customer. And there are a lot of, mm-hmm. Evercom is just one example, so I'm not picking on them. There are many other companies like them, uh, which cater to tweens and let's say um, young adults, that they essentially lost the customer. Once a customer grows out of it, you don't have enough people from a prior generation to take take over, or it's just not cool. right. You know what I mean? Right. So, going back to this whole department store question, circuitous route is throughout of saying, look, um, they're trying to adapt uh, at times with some of them at great difficulty, mm-hmm. uh, at varying levels of success, and that's what's going on here. That that.
0: So you think they're getting? Are they getting their uh, their lunch eaten by
1: other retailers in a way? For sure. For yeah. Sure.
0: That's a that's a shame. So, for
1: example, well, example yeah. to, to give you, okay, it's not an old retailer but for retail standards, let's say that it's a relatively new brand compared to Macy's. But think of Ralph Lauren, right? Ralph florin's a brand that is a retailer. It's a wholesaler. It has outlet stores. Uh, it has many things working in its business model. It, it even has uh, Club Monaco, which it owns, right? So, mm-hmm. with all of these factors. You'd think that a company was founded in the late 60s that invented, because they invented, uh, lifestyle branding within the fashion industry.
0: Well, it seems like they have a very low risk
1: because they're so diversified in a way, right? Exactly. Exactly. So that's great. Great point. But they're hurting. Who's eating their lunch? Vineyard Vines. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bonobos. Other menswear brands are in fast fashion. I mean, not directly, but sure, people mix clothing up. That's a problem. And hence the new CEO last year, right? Because they're seeing it and it's hurting their their wallets. I mean, or or their rather, you know, finances. They're not getting the sales that they need. So it's a problem. Uh, And companies like that that have strong brand recognition are all dealing with this right now.
0: Right. So I guess then if, um, if they're having problems that way, uh, specialty retailers like that, it's going to have a echo effect or some type of, um, you know, an after effect on department stores. So every part of their every part of their chain mm-hmm. is going to is going to have issues. And of course, there's plenty of department stores with brands like that. Um, when there's when they're heavily invested in a brand like that, that's where it may hurt them the most.
1: Yes. Right. Yes. Oversaturation could be another problem, right? I mean, if you have, look, you could have a strong brand equity, but if you're over distributed uh, as a brand, then customers won't respond. If you have too many outlet stores, uh, it's like, why should I buy full price when I go to the outlet store to purchase the same brand? And consumers don't think, oh, is it the the high tier of this brand, middle tier, low tier? From a brand perspective, they look at it this way. But look, you and I are going to say, OK, well, what is I, this is what I need now because I need to buy now, wear now. What's the best deal I could find for myself within right. uh, budgetary constraints, right? Because no one wants to overspend.
0: Well, there's one department store that we all know um, and they maybe not so much anymore. I remember like 10 years ago, maybe even still the, the nickname for them was Needless Markup. So, uh, <laughs> that's things like that just don't help them, and, and that's. But that that really summarizes some of the problems that they're having, and maybe those problems are finally coming out, and they were able to get away with it for so long until some of these other competitors have come around, like you know, like Bonobos and 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 like Vineyard Vines, and some of those competitors that have their own stores, they don't sell into department stores, and they're eating their lunch, right? They're they're taking sales away from them in a very simple way right they may have even a better omni-channel practice than they do they may have a better online presence than they do they may who knows what it is i mean i i know that my you know my my 12 year old he's got some vineyard vine stuff i mean i'm not a fan to be honest with you but he likes it and and we he's not wearing any ralph lauren he's got a few pieces of ralph lauren but i mean there is there that that alone when you look at you know, you look at that generation too; those the, those kids, the Generation Y, to see what they're wearing, and that's that that Vineyard Vines type generation too of 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 wear of of wearing that more than the standard brands that maybe we grew up with. So yeah. that shift alone, yeah, yeah, we're going to see things like that happen.
1: That, exactly right, and that's what's happening. I mean, and even the even concepts, right? Um, if you take it up to you know the 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 meta level, right? If you look at the concept of even luxury, it's like we. For the last 10 years, we've been talking about luxury this, luxury that. You got luxury coffee, luxury experience, luxury condos, luxury cars, luxury apparel, luxury this, luxury that. The, what does it really mean <laughs> at the end of the day, right? And so because you hear it so much, it's commoditized and you don't want to pay for it, right? Which is to your point about this whole Neiman Marcus thing. I mean, that, that is a luxury retailer, but they've had like what, six quarters of, of um, you know decreased sales uh, because – one, the price points are so high, and two, people are mixing and matching. There was a time when somebody would, you know, buy just luxury products, but now you'll buy, let's say, uh, an expensive woman's purse, whatever brand, at a Neiman's, and you'll put it together <laughs> with a Zara top and a designer pair of women's jeans and some flats from another company that is moderate. Right, and it, right. and it's not an income thing. It, yeah, sure, you could make. We could take that route, but let's just say it, it's just you're just mixing is just the point here, and so yep. that hurts sales.
0: Yep, the Frankensteining of retail, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> cool. So let's let's hit up our last topic here about uh, we we've talked about AR and VR a couple times, uh, I believe, and. And this is something where we are looking at retailers specifically to see how they're adopting these, because this is some very interesting technology, not really VR as we might've thought, you know, VR being right now more of a, um, more of a tool that's being used on the consumer side by, um, by gamers and such with the PlayStation VR and, and Oculus Rift and those things. And also for government needs related to, um, you know, related to military scenarios, things like that. But Really, with um, with retailers, that's a little bit less of a possibility. And they're looking at the, um, AR, so augmented reality, meaning viewing your world around you with added components to it. So kind of like, um, you know, you look at the Iron Man movies or anything like that. You know, we used to look at movies where they're looking into the future with people having, um, you know, type of ocular inserts in their eyes so they could... They could see additional data around them. So while they're looking outside, they could see that the, the time, the temperature, things like that, the bar- barometric pressure or the speed at which a car is moving in front of them or things like that to add data. For retailers, it's a similar concept. They want shoppers to come in and experience their store uh, beyond the, the beyond the physicality of it. Right. So they want to be able to have whether it's through a phone or whatever other device comes comes about in the next uh, decade or two they want um, to be able to offer additional information through augmented reality. So if they're holding their phone up, using their camera um, to see what's in front of them and having that phone be aware of the store and being aware of potential added information. So just to, to point someone in a direction of, okay, we're having a sale over there in aisle 15 or, um, or uh, right in front of you on the left is something that might spark your interest based on a previous thing you've purchased. So things like that, adding adding to the value of a store... It's in its infancy, I'd say, but things like Pokemon Go have shown us um, have shown us that the potential is there. So that's one of the most you know famous augmented augmented reality games or interactions that consumers have had um, and in ever in most the most successful and it's dr- it's drawn people into their physical world, you know, kind of moving their life into that. And the, retailers think that they can actually. Add value to that by, you know, adding information to their stores, like I mentioned before, for people in that type of, in, in that type of interaction to to gain value from and to understand, to understand things they might have not have understood before in relation to that retailer specifically. So, there is some data around um, the percentage of shoppers that are actually using augmented reality, according to a survey of about, um, I think it was about 1,100 uh, adult shoppers. It was conducted by Interactions Consumer Experience Marketing. And they were saying that about 30, so 34% of shoppers they surveyed already use AR while shopping and nearly half like to use it both online and in store. So that's pretty impressive. I, I, I mean, I thought I was pretty tech forward and early adopter, and I, I haven't really used too much of it when in many stores, because so I wasn't even, I don't, you know, I wasn't aware they even offered it, to be honest. So, sure, I don't know. It's it pretty interesting. It well.
1: Todd, if you think about it, it, it it's around us in, in many ways and we, we don't even think about it. It's one of those things that yeah. it, it, it becomes so much part of the fabric uh, of our, our experiences as, uh, let's say, shoppers or consumers that we don't even think about this. So, for example, if you think of online, uh, think of, I think back, uh, I'm not sure if you remember, like maybe 10, 15 years ago, uh, this, there was this whole big deal about avatars, right, mm-hmm. that could model you. And would look like you and you could kind of put clothing on them and that was just like a a trend but essentially here I think this is more like it's something that's been happening gradually so for Mm -hmm. example you could use it uh, so in in the survey uh, the the 1100 adult US shoppers that were surveyed um, by by this company essentially they're using 60% this is where it's used 60% would use it are using it for furniture And it makes sense, right? Because there, before buying, you do a lot of research, right? You you may not buy a full, like let's say, uh, set of furniture, right? But you may buy incremental pieces that you need to replace or something new that you're looking for. But you wanna envision, how does it look? And as you go into stores, you may see this sometimes, like Ikea does a good job. You have uh, Ruin Board does a good job. Restoration- Wayfair. Yeah, exactly. But that's, that's something you'd use it for. Clothing, for sure. So think of it. Uh, you want to buy um, a shirt that is patterned with a blue-black round, But you're thinking, well, I have a lot of blue in my closet uh, In this with this patterned shirt. Uh, I like the pattern. How would it look in different colors? And so you'll kind of change the colors to see what it might look like. And it might not be on Avatar or anything like this. But it be on them. Maybe, you know, yeah, who knows? Yeah, exactly. But it just gives you an idea. And again, mm-hmm. I think the, the, the gist here of this technology is that it helps uh, you narrow down your choices by helping you visualize what you will potentially purchase. Sure,
0: sure. And that, and that, and that brings people closer to purchase, right? It, that, that path to purchase becomes a lot shorter when you can do that. But the, the question here is how seamless can it be? how seamless can retailers really make this? I mean, I honestly, I don't want to walk into a store and have to bring up my phone and like go through and maybe take a picture of myself and then and then insert that picture in a different environment, you know, in a, I don't want to have to like take pictures of certain pieces of clothes to be able to um, see how I might look on it. You know, the point is, is that um, sorry, look, look with those pieces of clothes on me. I just don't want to have to make too much effort when uh, using AR. And that's going to be the key is is what type of information can be provided by a retailer that is personalized and kind of shortens that path to purchase, making it fun, which is important because that's the Pokemon Go example is, you know, can it be fun? Um, be, that could boost the experience, right? So you get that fun part, makes the experience fun, and maybe you're more likely to to actually complete your purchase in that case if you're having fun. But is it useful also? Is it something that's really given you added value and is it personalized in the right way? And that's going to be the interesting part. And I think it's, I really think it's going to get there because there's so much potential. Is like you said, especially with furniture, you know, especially with big purchases where people really want to see, you know, they've got to maybe bring in a picture of your living room um, or even before you go to the store. Just like, just like Wayfair, what they're doing right now, you know, you're able to see these, these these pieces of furniture scaled correctly, colors cor- color corrected, and everything for your living room, or bedroom, or whatever, to see how it'll look before you buy it, and that's huge. That's a great great thing, um, and uh, you know that that type of interaction with it from with technology for for shoppers is is what's going to help retailers, I think, the most is the simplicity of it, but also that direct impact on shortening that path
1: to purchase. You're right. You're right. It's it's that direct impact, and it's also look the big question that you post, is it a novelty? Or is right. it something yeah. that adds value?
0: Yeah, I know. There's a, there's a certain amount of gamification and stuff that it's really becomes a novelty. <coughs> and, uh, you know, cool and fun is fun and great, but does it really impact revenues? Does it really, does it change things for retailers? And that's gonna be the, the big question. So I think we'll see from the the early provider retailers like Wayfair and, and, and Ikea and stuff and see if they, they're actually seeing value out of this. And I bet you they will. I, I would
1: agree. I, I think with, with, with furniture, probably more so clothing sure uh, perhaps but again it comes down to the execution if it could be executed correctly in a very uh, simple way to your point that makes it easy to use and not cumbersome right then right. then, right. yeah sure it catches on if it's not then it's like uh, too much work this was fun but next time I'll just look at a catalog
0: Right. Sometimes you want to walk into a store, pick up a pair of jeans, and leave. Right. <laughs> exactly. you, you, get, you
1: get a couple shirts, maybe
0: that you know you need. You, you know, a couple of new dress shirts for work or something, or a new pair of boots. Just, just get it and leave. Forget the AR stuff. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I think when it comes to the speed of purchase and you going in something a little more transactional in that case, yeah, maybe it's not as useful. So, um, but very exciting. It's fun stuff. I'm, I'm really excited for it, and uh, we'll keep touching on AR. I think as it, as it becomes more, um, more widely adopted by retailers. So, Jose, before we get uh, um, t- into closing out this this uh, uh, lovely episode, uh, episode 10, I can't believe we've done 10 episodes so far. That's that's totally cool. Um, w- you attended a conference this past week. Uh, it was the NYU Expanding Horizons Retail Conference, and I think we're going to start doing more of this because you are out and about attending a lot of these retail shows, and I think it would benefit our audience to, to be able to have them understand some of these... Uh, some of these sessions that are happening, some of these sessions that are going on, and also some of the sentiment in general that's that's out there at some of these shows. So th- this week, you're going to talk about the NYU Expanding Horizon show. So go ahead for, uh, for a few minutes.
1: Sure. Thanks, Todd. So cool, we're going to talk about what we learned there, right? So look, there were highlights, and it was a yearly show that's uh, put on by Stern um, in the Business School of NYU in New York City. And the general theme was, I'll I'll just give you the panels and it's just to give you a flavor of what was uh, discussed. So it was authentic activations, converting customers to advocates, right? Shifting strategies, retail in a digital digital age. Uh, And then there were also, there was a keynote conversation and there was a fireside chat. So I'll, I'll give you the quick uh, overview without getting to too much detail but just to give you some things to think about um, this week in terms of what people are talking about in the industry. So starting off with the keynote it was Anish uh, Malwani who's the CEO of LVM- LVMH North America and he oversees 70 brands uh, within North America for LVMH. As we know LVMH is the largest uh, luxury goods purveyor uh, An owner of brands in the world, based in France. And it's, it can be considered, um, although it's a public company, it is a family-owned company because they have controlling interest, which would be the Arnaud family. So Bernard Arnaud, uh, and you could read a lot about him and his family in different books that have been published about them uh, and hear more about their story. But the interesting thing was his take on retail and since they're really a luxury goods retailer it's always interesting because we always say that the luxury goods industry is the slowest to adapt new technology Uh, which to a certain extent is true they've been very cautious because it is a high touch let's say type of clientele that that shops there in other words it is a, a client that wants an experience a true experience meaning a sales associate walking him or her through a purchase because essentially they're not purchasing inexpensive items. If you're going to drop, uh, let one of their brands happens to be their biggest one, uh, Louis Vuitton. If you're going to go into the store or the temple of Vuitton and you're going to drop $3,000 or you're thinking of dropping $3,000, you want an experience. (laughs) Yeah, sure. You're not just going to say, here's my, I mean, you can, for some people that might be the case, but most people want some sort of experience. Um, other brands, uh, Not so much, but the key takeaway was he's like, you have to take a measured approach Uh, and it's not easy and it's brand by brand. And he gave us a lot of um, stories of brands he's worked with and what makes the Maison special. Interesting, interesting conversation. Uh, From there, uh, one takeaway from the converting customers to advocates was, and this relates to this keynote, was there was a head of... Um, brand partnerships and experiences at Global Cadillac, right? And he said, look, digital is not effective for high net worth individuals, which ties back to this whole measured approach thing, right? So although Anish didn't say it directly, the takeaway is high net worth individuals um, may not treat digital. So we were just talking about uh, AR. It may not work. (laughs) And you have to understand, it may not work for high ticket items that are not functional, that are more, let's say, aspirational, if you will. So if you're buying a diamond ring, you kind of want (laughs) to feel... I mean, it's a once in a lifetime type of thing for most of us um, if we're getting married. Uh, You want the experience. You walk into any store, doesn't matter what it is, to buy a diamond ring. You want someone to walk you through the four C's of the diamond. You want someone to give you a glass of champagne or two glasses of champagne as you're looking at rings. To talk to you about the history of the place that of the type of diamonds that you're getting that they're special and this and that that's what that customer is right so that's how we could envision that so that that was interesting and then the next panel which talked about retail in the digital age talked about the bar being raised right because digital is so ubiquitous in many ways mobile uh, let's say laptops online that the bar has been raised because there's such high quality content So they said that the hardest thing to do uh, in a digital environment is thumb stopping because we see so many things to make you want to stop is really tough, right? So they have to work harder (laughs) nowadays brands that is to get you to stop uh, to look at things and it seems like they're more they were more in the camp of the digital side of omnichannel, channel right no one is really talking about brick and mortar stores and so i'll leave you with this the most interesting actually uh talk that had the most interesting takeaways that i'll spend more time on was really the fireside chat by mark lee who is the ceo of barney's new york barney's new york is a company that was founded uh roughly in the 20s as an off price men's discounter and it's the story of a discounter that was went through three generations of a family, uh, became a luxury goods, let's say, purveyor of, let's say, not just luxury goods, but let's say, contemporary, fashionable, very avant-garde looks, and then was sold to private equity because uh, it was the curse of the third generation uh, family members because the curse is usually, first generation's fine, second generation's okay, Third generation usually will take your company in a different direction and they're going to have to sell. If you can make it through the generation, third generation and family owned business, there's probably a good likelihood that it will stay in the family. Unfortunately, in this case it didn't. But Mark Lee's point was this. He said, look, we are a purveyor of luxury goods and we are a department store and we've closed down stores. So a lot of things that we've talked about on this uh, podcast are, are, are things that they did. So." he took over a few years ago about uh, five years ago he closed half of the stores down over that time period right he said ultimately the competition for him is everyone it's not just uh let's say another luxury goods purveyor like a retailer that is like a uh neiman marcus uh or perhaps a nordstrom it's everyone he said because the customer is uh pretty much buying high and low, and they're putting together items that are either from Zara's along with a designer brand, as I mentioned earlier. That's a problem. So with that, they've tried to change their model to adopt this omnichannel approach, which is really interesting because they're really, you could really get into the uh, inner workings of this company because he's the one who started this new era for Barneys uh, about five years ago. He said that their biggest competitor actually is not a physical retailer, but it's actually an online retailer, Netaporte, which is owned by Jukes. And he said that they provide so many more things online and they do it well. And they do do it well. So if you have a chance, go to Netaporte. They give you style guides, they give you looks. Beyond just purchasing, it's, I guess, the closest you could get to a physical experience in a store that's fashionable and makes you feel good and it's differentiated, which is key. Hard to do online, but they do that. And he, he that's what he said, and I happen to agree because I do like net a uh, In addition, he said that, look, there, is, it's tough to run online, a physical retailer and have an online component because the online component is so expensive. And he said, and I, I, I like this quote, personalization is a key to the future of targeted growth right and it's something that he's working at and something that um the company is working at. personalization and his biggest concern so the question came up is what keeps you up at night mark he said discount so as we said discounting is a problem right because uh it, it erodes your ability to work off of greater margins as a retailer and we know that we like to sell full price not off-price, so it was quite an interesting uh, conversation and I spoke to him afterwards and um, he, he's pretty much on, on top of what's going on and he, you know, pretty much was telling us about the business and he talked about how, you know, the pareto rule exists in this company, but when you get to the top 5% of the customers, um, essentially, they're even more disproportionate than that 80-20 rule because they spend a, a lot of money there. And to leave you with this thought, so the uh, moderator or let's say the interviewer for this panel was actually an NYU professor and it was Lawrence Lenahan. And he said this, he said, and I'll leave you with this, is during tough times, this is where the money's made. So think about how that could potentially um, help you in your business to find opportunity. Yeah, cool
0: stuff. Well, thanks for reporting all that from the show and we'll um, we'll make sure to keep covering these shows that you go to to get some of the sentiment from these retail leaders. It's pretty neat, pretty good stuff. Um, well that is the show. that's episode 10. Thank you, Jose. Thanks for everyone listening. Uh, If you have any questions, comments, feedback, you can email us at brickdatacast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, by the way. It's uh, Brick Datacast. Pretty simple. Uh, You can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and any favorite favorite, uh, podcast aggregator that you have, most likely we will be on there. Uh, But until next time, until episode 11, take care, everybody, and Jose, have a great rest of your day. You as well, Tom. Bye, everyone.